Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus, or uh, maybe you're at home watching online. Uh, we're glad that you have uh, chosen to attend also. Uh, my name is Greg Surratt. I'm the founding pastor here, which just simply means I got here first, okay? <laughs> and uh, I spend a lot of my time these days uh, helping pastors at the retreat at Church Creek and also in ARC. Uh, but it's a privilege for me uh, to, to speak. I've been following this series sitting on the front row every weekend that I'm here. And uh, it's always a privilege to uh, be able to speak to you guys. Love doing it. Love this church. Uh, so uh, how many of you would agree that sometimes life is tough? Anybody have a testimony on that? Sometimes life is tough. If you're a pessimist, you might say it like this, life is tough and then you die. <laughs> I think it's a little better than that. But sometimes life is tough. And here's another truth, and that's that uh, being a Christian, a Christ follower, sometimes doesn't seem to make it any easier. Anybody have a testimony on that? I've had people down through the years, I've been here about 33 years, and I've had people say that to me or ask me, say, when does it start to get a little easier? I thought when I came to Jesus, it would fix everything. And some days it just doesn't feel fixed. And I would say following Jesus isn't for cowards, okay? Takes courage. Now, what I would say is that the rewards are great. Listen, when you come to Jesus and you submit your life to him and, and you invite the Holy Spirit to fill you, and he begins to work his fruit in your life, and you have more peace and more love and more joy and more patience and more goodness and more kindness. That's a good thing. And then there are studies that show that if you have a strong faith in God, it actually impacts your health, your physical health and your mental health. And there are scientific studies about that. And then you get a family to be a part of and then top it off, you get a home in heaven when you die. So it's a good gig. But sometimes it's hard. Um, if you've been watching the Olympics, which apparently nobody is, um, <laughs> in some events, there, there, for instance, ice skating, uh, there'll be a, a degree of difficulty, Okay. And what it means is that everybody's skating, but for some people, it's going to be a higher degree of difficulty. It's harder, and for other people, it's a lower degree of difficulty, but there's a higher score uh, if you get it right with the higher degree of, of difficulty. And uh, I was thinking about that this week, and in the Sermon on the Mount, it, Jesus ratchets up the degree of difficulty for us. He really does. We've been studying for, this will be week number eight. This is the final week of this, this part of, uh, of, of Matthew. And um, we've, we've been studying the Beatitudes and uh, we, we've called it how to be happy. And it is, it leads to happiness, but uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, and and uh, what I want to say today is that what I'm going to give you is a leadership talk. Okay. And actually, that's what Jesus does with the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the context, there's a big crowd that's gathered, but he brings the leaders. 
around him separately. He says, let me talk to you about this. And he teaches them what we've been teaching you in the last few weeks about the what, what is proper behavior? What, what, what should you do? And, and, and uh, Jesus would say to leaders, he would say, when you feel overwhelmed in life and you feel like you've got nothing to give, he would call it spiritually poor when you're poor in spirit. He would say, really, here's where you are. You're in a good place because God blesses the poor in spirit. He would say to weary leaders, when when something happens and you want to power up, everything within you says you need to power up on this one and uh, you, choose, you choose not to, uh, you choose to respond in humility, your inheritance will be huge, he says. When you show mercy as leaders in a situation that doesn't deserve it, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're getting a boatload of mercy coming back your direction. And when you work hard at making peace, like we learned last week, when everybody else is making trouble, then you, you become an accurate reflection of who your father in heaven is. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been sitting on the front row listening to this series, and I've loved it. But one thing stuck out to me last week, and that was this. My first response to just about every situation will almost always be exactly the opposite of what Jesus commands. Are you getting that? Are you seeing that? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the eighth and final beatitude. And I'm warning you up front, this is the toughest one of all, I think. This is one of the most difficult ones. So if you're a leader of anything, uh, many of you are, are leaders in, in business. Some of you are leaders in nonprofits. Some of you are, are volunteering as a leader at school or uh, some of you are leaders in ministry areas. This is for you, okay? This is for you. Some of you need it right now. Somebody texted me after the first service, big time leader, and said, oh my goodness, if I didn't need that right in this moment. Some of you will need that. Others of you, I guarantee you, you're gonna need it at some point. So put it in your pocket. Take good notes, put it in your pocket. But what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna talk about um, persecution, persecution, okay? Matthew chapter five and verse 10 through 12. And here's what we're gonna try to do. We're gonna try to read this one out loud together. Last service, it didn't work so well, okay? And it wasn't the people, it was me. I got, my mind gets out ahead of things. I don't know if you guys do that. But we're gonna do it well. Campuses, we're gonna do it at home. Opportunity to read out loud together unless you're, in a library, but they're all closed today anyway, okay? So, so here we go. Blessed, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's try this again, okay? We can do this. We can do this, all right. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Let me just stop there, we'll go on. What is he saying, because of righteousness? That's not a word we use a lot. It just And we've defined it in the series a little bit. It just means you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to follow Jesus' example. You're at Christ. You're just trying, we're at work, in the marketplace, school and church, in your marriage, with your family. You're just trying to do the right thing. So he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because they're trying to do the right thing. Let's go on. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That sounds like a real fun place to be, doesn't it? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, blessed are those who are persecuted. What is persecution? What classifies as that? And how do you be blessed in it? You know, we've all been hurt in life. And most of life's hurts are what I would call inconsequential and possibly even unintentional. Somebody says something in a, in a social situation or even to you personally, and your feelings get hurt. You get hurt. We all, it, it happens to all of us. Or your efforts at doing something are just not appreciated, okay? And you get hurt. Uh, someone leaves you out of something. They, you don't get an invitation to something that you thought that you should get invited to. And your feelings get hurt. Someone chooses to no longer invest in the friendship in the same way that you do. That's probably one of the hardest ones. And you get hurt. We get hurt. Someone close to you switches their allegiance from the Gamecocks to the Tigers. And it's your wife. And it hurts. That's not persecution. None of those are. Persecution, those are real things. And we have to deal with them and they can cause stuff in our life. But persecution is much more than that. It's personal. Oftentimes it's verbal, can be physical. And at its core, it's evil. It's evil. It's what Jesus is talking about. And here's the question. Why would anybody be like that to somebody else? Great question. Thought about that this week. And I think that people who deliberately persecute you, because this is a deliberate thing. Most hurts that we have are inconsequential or, you know, whatever, careless. This is deliberate. This is deliberate. Why would somebody do that? And I can think of a couple of reasons. The reason number one, they, they got hurt somewhere in life. Can be a very, very deep hurt. But here's what happens is uh, they're triggered very easily by things that go on or they project on you what happened to them when it's not your intent at all. And we probably, many of us have had things like that happen. So they're, they're hurt. Hurting people do what? They hurt people. Second reason that I can see is that they are consumed by ambition, okay? You, some of you have experienced this in the marketplace, at, at, at work, uh, where someone is so consumed to advance that they will, they will climb over anybody and it's kind of a scorched earth kind of a deal. You're in the way, so you're going to get persecuted. You're going to get nailed with things that aren't true, uh, just evil, evil stuff, okay? So, so if you lead anything long enough, you will encounter persecution. The question is, how should I react? And here's a clue that I already gave you, is your first reaction to just about every situation will almost always be the exact opposite of Jesus' command. So let's buckle up. Jesus says, when people insult you, when they say bad things about you, it's an invitation to kingdom living. 
He says, when, when this happens to you, you can do one of two things. You can either rejoice and be glad, which is what he tells us to do, or you can get angry and be bitter. That's what happens. And there is no room for bitterness in the kingdom of God. We're warned against it over and over and over again. Bitterness will corrupt you. It'll foul you up. It'll foul up your relationships. It'll throw sand in the gear of whatever you're doing. And so Jesus says, there's a better way. So how do you react when people persecute you? Let me give you three things. Number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Look at what 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says three things. Sir. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you're at work and this thing comes against you or you're trying to do ministry or you're leading a nonprofit and it feels like hell's breaking loose and hell's breaking loose from within the church. It's Christians. He says, don't be surprised. It has a purpose. It can test you. It can refine you. You say, is God, does that mean that God's sending it? Not always. No. Sometimes he is. Sometimes we're cursing the devil and God's actually trying to get us to grow a little bit. Okay. And he's slowing us down. But sometimes it's just evil from the pit of hell and people are doing it. And you say, well, where's God in all of that? It, God allowed it. And Romans 8, 28 says, uh, God works in all things for your good and his glory. And so even when it's not, you know, well, this is the will of God, God makes it his will and he'll help you to grow through it. How of you know this? One of my friends told me one time, if you've got to go through it, you might as well grow through it, right? Right? And so it's a test. And then he says, uh, don't think it's strange. You're not the only one. You know, a lot of times you go, why me? Well, it's everybody. Don't be surprised, okay? In fact, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, in fact, most people who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No, that's the revised substandard perversion. That's not God's word. What God's word says is what? Everybody, not most, not many, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you've never suffered from persecution even one time, it may be time to do what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see whether you really are in the faith, okay? Test yourself, he says, because everybody is gonna be persecuted at some point. Now, here's what Jesus said in another leadership talk, John chapter 15 to just a few of his leaders gathered together uh, for uh, the, what we call the Last Supper. And he says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So warning after warning after warning after warning. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you can do all of the Beatitudes well. And there will be people who do not like you. Okay? If you're a Christ follower, especially if you step into any kind of leadership and you're trying to do the right thing, righteousness, you can expect some persecution at some point. It may be surprising. It may blindside you at first, but once you get your bearings, you need to understand, don't be surprised. This is a part of the process. See it as a test of how much progress you've made, 
Okay, so that's the first thing. Don't be surprised. Here's the second way to react to persecution and respond is let God do his thing, okay? Just let God do his thing. So I'm gonna tell you what preaching is like. I've been doing it for 33 years here and almost every time I preach on a subject, I live it out during the week. So if I preach on marriage, Debbie and I will have the biggest fight we've had in a decade. (laughs) She knows that she can ask her. That's why series on marriage are brutal. I don't do them anymore. I don't, <laughs> I don't want a month of hell, <laughs> you know. Or, or, if, or if I'm preaching about, you know, family, kids, how to raise your kids, family relationships, literally hell breaks out in our home. You know, it's just awful. If I'm preaching about uh, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, I will guarantee you, or almost guarantee you, that that week I will have a stressful situation that tests all, and it helps me to feel what I ought to feel and go through that, but I don't like it. And so, persecution. This week I received a little digital love. (laughs) Nothing too serious. But how do you respond? How do you respond? And, it's good for me to, to kind of feel that. So here's what you do. Uh, when, you, w- when you want to know how to respond, persecution is coming your way. Go to the word of God, right? Go to the word of God. Because my first response won't be the best response. I need to go to the word of God. Where do you go to the word of God? Listen, when you're feeling stressed, or overwhelmed, discouraged, whatever, or persecuted, go to the Psalms. Because they're real, real, raw and real. David's felt all of that and give you instructions about what to do. And so I would suggest going to Psalm 69. It's great. In the first few verses of Psalm 69, David cries out to God. He's, he's just telling how it is. He feels like he's drowning in persecution. People are, are accusing him of things that he hasn't done. And so in verse four, he says, those who hate me without reason, is one thing to be, do something stupid and everybody hates you, right? He says, they're hating me without reason. Man, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. <laughs> Doesn't take too many people for me, but for David, he probably had a good, good hair head. Many, he says, are my enemies without what? Without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. Some of you relate to that. You just trying to do the right thing. Somebody has it out for you and they're accusing you of stuff, speaking evil about you, lying about you or accusing you of lying. And um, you feel like you're paying for stuff you didn't steal. Some of you are there, all right? So David says that. Next verse. He says, you God know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. I love this. And this is a great leadership thing. David owns his stuff. He says, God, I'm not perfect. Listen, how many perfect leaders are there? One, Jesus. If you expect your leader to be perfect, you're going to be sadly, sadly, sadly disheartened because there are no perfect leaders. And David says, God, you know, you know my failures. You know my sin. But this is a great part, this next part. He says, Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. He says, you know, I'm not perfect, but God, 
help me not to do something so bad, so stupid or whatever, or not to, just to own my own stuff, that others would be harmed by it, that others would, would be put to shame because of me. Great prayer for leaders there. And then he goes on and he says, but I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor and your great love, O oh God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Just a simple, God help me prayer. Lord, I feel like I'm drowning. I don't feel like I've done anything to deserve this. I know I'm not perfect, but God, could you lift me up? Could you help me in the midst of this situation? And then next, he begins to pray for his enemies. Jesus says in the New Testament, pray for your enemies. Here we have an example. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent over. Pour out your wrath upon them. Let your fierce anger over. Take them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. Let them be hit by a truck. For they persecute those that you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime after crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I love that. I love it. It's the Bible. <laughs> and the Bible itself says that everything in it is profitable for us in the right circumstances, right? This is called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalm. And those are the psalms, uh, the ones that David generally is calling down God's judgment on his enemies. Now, here's what you need to know about psalms. The psalms are written to be sung, okay? We need to sing more psalms like this. <laughs> I mean, Brandon Lake and the team, they write wonderful songs, and a lot of them are out of the psalms. Why don't they write some of this stuff right here? Shouldn't we sing these occasionally? Let me give you some more imprecatory psalms. Psalm 55, verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. <laughs> Let them go down alive to the grave. May his children be fatherless and his wife be a widow. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. And if David lived today, he would have said, may their fingers be crushed as they type their venom on a keyboard. Okay? I mean, just, we need to sing that stuff. I was loving this until I read further into Jesus' sermon. Did I mention that your first response is seldom the best one? Matthew 5 and verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about this a little bit, but actually he's talking about Leviticus 19 where uh, it instructs the people of God never to hate other Israelis, okay? Other Israelites, it doesn't matter what they do, you, you got to forgive them, you can't hate them. Well, rabbinical teaching then built on that and said, well, if you can't, it doesn't say anything about your enemies, so let's love 
our people and hate our enemies. And Jesus is saying, that isn't the spirit of what God gave. Might be your practice, but it's not the spirit. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay? So I've got a lot of questions about this. I hope you do too. One of my questions is, why is it okay for David to pray like that for his enemies and it's not okay for me? I just want to know. I want to know. And I thought about that, and I think there's at least two, two reasons. Number one is David was praying and leading from a position of a king. He's the king. He's the government. Okay? Stick with me on this. Not every scripture and not even every teaching that Jesus does has the same application to individuals as it does to governments. For instance, if Jesus says, you know, if, if your enemy uh, slaps you on your face, turn the other cheek. If he wants your coat, give it to him. That's awesome. And we should do that. And that's humility. I don't want my president when a country is invading to go, hey, take everything you need. Let's do it. Why? Because the responsibility of a king is to provide and protect. And so he's the king and he's providing. And these are enemies of the nation. And he's providing and protecting. But there's a bigger reason, bigger reason. And that reason is he is under the old covenant and I'm under a new and better covenant. He was protecting the old covenant. It wasn't wrong what he was doing. The old covenant was the Mosaic covenant where God comes to Moses and he says, I want to have a people, okay? And I want you to lead the people. He, originally, he came to Abraham, but he comes to Moses. He said, you're going to lead the people. There's going to be a land and I'm going to give you a land. And from that land, I'm going to bless the entire world. Well, David is a king that his responsibility is to protect in, in, uh, people that would come and try to take that land. And so he's defending that and he's defending the covenant, all right? But in my situation, my situation, I live under a new covenant in Jesus. He fulfilled the old covenant. We're going to talk about that next week and established a new one and a better covenant. The old covenant had 613 laws. Our covenant only has one. It's the law of love. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. That's all we're responsible for is one. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So I get it why David can do it and I can't. Here's another question that I have. Is, is it ever right to pray down judgment on people who are persecuting you? Okay? Is that ever the right? Jesus said to pray for them. Can you pray that they get hit by a truck? Is it ever right to pray down God's judgment on people who are persecuting you? You may be surprised at my answer. My answer is yes, it is. And I'm going to tell you why. I think it's hugely important to do it, as a matter of fact, because that's how you transfer your anger and potential bitterness to God. If you don't do anything with it, it's going to fester. I'll show you scripture. Jesus did that. It was our example. In fact, 1 Peter 2.23, and you know who Peter was. Peter was a disciple that had a quick trigger. And he's amazed by Jesus. 
And he says this, this is talking about when Jesus was on the cross. When they hurled their insults at him, I wish we had time to develop this. I can't even imagine. He's naked on the cross and in horrible pain, and they're insulting him, okay? He did not retaliate. He could have, but he didn't. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, I just want to say this, if that, if that scripture just ended with he made no threats, it is of very little use or hope to me. Why? Because he's God and I'm not. Jesus can do it. I can't necessarily do that. But let me just say, it, it says instead, Jesus was fully God, fully man. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't understand it. I trust it. In his humanity, he's got all this building up. He had to. He had the same stuff that we have. But it says, instead of just spewing it out, it says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, in my humanity, I have no idea what's on that guy's mind. I have no idea what her background is. I have no idea what their intentions are. I, have an, I can think, but I, I don't know the beginning from the end as in my humanity. And so I'm going to trust God, who knows it all, to judge justly. And here's, here's a point, y'all. Very seldom, if ever, are you capable of judging justly because you've got your own stuff that's clouding your vision. And you're not, you're not omniscient. You don't know the future of yourself, nor do you know the past of somebody else, okay? So he judges himself justly. So here's what I would say. I would say when you're praying for an enemy who is persecuting you, pray for judgment on them. Just don't tell God what, he, what his options are. Did you get that? God says vengeance is his and that he will certainly judge our cases. That's Romans 12, 19. He also said that it's a righteous thing to repay those who trouble you with trouble. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. So God's not going to let your enemies have a great time hurting you, but you have to hand the case over to him and let him do it his way and not your way. Don't tell him what his options are. He has lots of options. Let me give you a couple of options just from the New Testament. Uh, there was a king named Herod who was persecuting the church. Different king from the first Herod. So the second Herod, he's persecuting the church. And uh, he, he grabs uh, James, brother of John, one of the two fishermen. And he has him put to death by the sword. And he gets a really good poll numbers from the political crowd as a result of that. So he grabs Peter and he's going to do the same thing to him. But it's Passover, and he can't do anything on the Passover, so he just puts him in jail. He's going to kill him after the Passover's over. And there's a, a, a miracle earthquake. The jail springs open, and Peter gets out, okay? So, so the king gets really, really mad. He's going to go in. He's going to, he's going to murder everybody. And an angel of the Lord strikes him, and he's judged by judgment. And uh, that judgment is immediate. He's eaten up with worms, it says, and he dies. That's not a good way to die. That's, all, that's essentially what happened to the first Herod. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was. I'll tell you person to person, but it would not be appropriate for a mixed crowd. But God judged it. Then there was a second judgment. 
guy named Saul, who was stirring up trouble for the church, breathing out threats of evil to the church. And God judges him. And in this judgment, he's blinded by a light of some kind. And in that, he comes to repentance, sees Jesus, and ultimately God uses him to become the greatest evangelist that the world has ever seen. God is fully capable of doing what is well and what is right. And so we've just got to hand it to him. See, God knows the beginning from the end. Uh, he may destroy your enemies immediately or later or give them room to repent and serve him and cause them to come and to know him, maybe even apologize to you. But when you encounter persecution, don't be surprised and let God do his thing. And let me give you the last thing real quick because the music is playing, which means I'm supposed to be done. Here's the third thing. Remember your reward. Look what Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You need to remember all the rewards are not passed out here. He says, great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets, they uh, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying you're in pretty good company. And he says, great is your reward. Great is your reward. I love watching the Super Bowl last week. I didn't have a, I didn't have a dog in the hunt. Okay, just great game. Enjoyed it. If your team lost, I'm sorry. Maybe they'll be back next year. Maybe the Broncos will be there. Who knows? But just to watch at the end of that game, grown men cry. You know, I mean, the, the quarterback who had spent years in purgatory in Detroit and he gets traded to Los Angeles. He wins the Super Bowl and watching these grown men cry. That's a reward. Hard work. Or maybe you were one of the few that watched the Olympics and you saw a medal ceremony and saw this cool story about how somebody overcame all kinds of stuff and they get the gold medal and they cry during the national anthem seen by, you know, 30 or 40 people. <laughs> or how about today? Daytona 500. All these drivers. And that's in NASCAR. <laughs> there we go. NASCAR fan on the front row. Who's 18? Kyle Bush. Kyle Bush. All right. So, so you've got, they do, this is how wacko NASCAR is. They do their Super Bowl race first. It's the first one that they have. And at the end of that, there's going to be somebody that's going to be cheered on by 130,000 people. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine eternity. I want you to imagine one day you're standing before God and there's an award ceremony and God calls your name and he says, Joel, I want you to come up here. You did it. You were persecuted. You responded well. You responded right. I want all of heaven to applause. Can you imagine the sound? And then he says, your reward will be great. Wow. The Bible says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the mind cannot conceive what God has for you someday. It's talking about the reward. I can't even imagine what the rewards will be like. Today might seem kind of sucky. It's no fun being persecuted. 
But when persecution comes, don't be surprised. Let God do his thing and remember your reward. And if you'll do that, it's going to turn out well for you. The beginning of the message, I said, you know, it's hard to be a Christ follower. And I'd say it's not just hard. It's impossible on your own power. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ came. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified. He died. He was buried and he rose again, ascended into heaven, released the Holy Spirit to those who would submit to him. The same power that dwelled in Christ and raised him from the dead dwells in you. You can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your greatness, your goodness, your awesomeness to us. And I pray in this place right now that your kingdom would come that you would challenge us to godly living, to righteousness, and that we would be reminded that even when we do, it may not always go well. But if we respond in your way, the rewards are amazing. And we can trust you to right every wrong. So God, we give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to have a time the next few minutes to respond to God. We give our service time to breathe. And I challenge you just to stay and be a part of that. And in these moments, we ask ourselves, God, what are you saying to me? And how can I best respond to you? And for some of us, your best response, for all of us, your best response would be to say, I'm going I'm to trust you. I'm going to trust your wisdom I'm going to trust your way. I'm going to trust your plan. For some of us, it might be the very first time that we've ever said, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my relationships. I want to know you. What I want to invite you to do is just to pray a prayer. Just do it in your seat. Just say, God, I want to, I want to know you. I want to be a part of your family. God, I trust you with my life. Others of us, we need to trust God with situations that we're facing, and it may be persecution or it may be something else. But maybe what you want to do is go to a cross and give God what you can't handle yourself. Say, God, here it is. Maybe it's a piece of paper you pin on the cross and say, here's a name. Here's a situation. Here's something I'm worrying about. You go to the cross and you pin it to the cross. Some of us are going to go to a candle, and you know we use the candles to pray. It's just intercessory prayer. It's a big word, just a point of connecting with God. A lot of times we pray for a friend or a neighbor. We go because we're grieving something, and it's just a connection that we have. I want to encourage you to do that. Do that today. But for some of us, we need to go to a candle and pray for an enemy. And maybe it's the first time you've been able to do that. Just go and just pray. We're going to uh, receive communion together. We've got prayer teams that are going to be in the front that will anoint you with oil and pray. The Bible says that that's what elders do and that the prayer of faith saves the sick. Uh, we're going to give our offerings online and also in the offering boxes, and we're going to stand, sing, and celebrate an awesome God who loves you more than you can know. So what's God saying to you, and how are you going to respond to him? Let's respond together.